How sweet, how heavenly is the sight when those that love the Lord in one another's peace delight. It's wonderful to be together this morning with those that love the Lord. It's a sweet, heavenly sight to see you all this morning and uh, to know that indeed our love for one another and for the God of heaven is alive and uh, cherished among us here this morning. Thank you for being here, especially if you're visiting with us, to enjoy this time in the presence of God, to worship Him and honor Him, and to look into His Word for a while together and think about this wonderful relationship that we have in Christ. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul there said, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted." Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In bearing one another's burdens in the body of Christ, there's a lot that we are to do, that we enjoy doing, and that we're privileged to do as fellow members of the body of Christ, those who participate and fellowship in a common salvation and a common faith. We love each other. We want to help each other out. And there are a lot of ways that we do that. I'm going to focus this morning on this one particular way that Paul mentions in verse 1. And that is when a man is overtaken in any trespass, a brother or sister in Christ especially, those who are spiritual restore that one in a spirit of gentleness. The most burdensome burdens that we bear are our sins. Sin is a heavy burden indeed. We bear one another's burdens when we help another lift that burden of sin off their shoulders. We can't be the ones who wash away their sins. We can't be the ones who uh, forgive and erase those sins in the sight of God. God does that. But we can help them. We can help brothers and sisters overtaken in any trespass to accomplish that. And it's a sweet and wonderful thing, being part of the body of Christ, to bear one another's burdens. So we're going to look at verse 1 uh, in a good bit of detail this morning and think about the ramifications of it, the responsibilities that each of us in the body of Christ has to do this, to restore such a one. One who is overtaken in any trespass, there was in Galatia serious doctrinal error that was being promulgated, and Paul, in fact, writes this letter to the churches of Galatia in an effort to combat that particular doctrine. He mentions it right off the bat, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another but there are some who would trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. The ESV there says, instead of pervert, it says, distort the gospel of Christ. The particular false doctrine then that Paul is dealing with as you go through the book of Galatians, it's evident, is that the, there are those who are teaching that you needed to adopt the law of Moses, particularly the law concerning circumcision, in order to be a Christian. And that, of course, is not authorized by Christ. There were some 
who were causing trouble by teaching this doctrine, and then there were some who were troubled by it, being influenced by it, and believing it, apparently. So, back in verse 7, when Paul says, there are some who trouble you, those were the teachers. But the Galatians themselves were being troubled by that teaching, by that false doctrine, in that some were believing it. So, concerning the latter, Paul says in Galatians 5 and verse 4, if they accept this teaching and they go back to the Old Testament law and accept circumcision as a necessity, in Galatians 5 and verse 4 he says, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Serious matter, isn't it? Here were people, please understand, in Galatia, who had been overtaken in a particular trespass. And there was a trespass concerning believing false doctrine. A lot of times we don't think what we believe matters that much, but I guarantee you, believing false doctrine will affect your salvation just as quick as uh, committing some heinous sin or leaving off some part that Christ wants you to do. These in Galatia had fallen from grace because they'd accepted this false doctrine. That was a trespass, wasn't it? A trespass. And then, Paul is also aware that you had these false teachers. And he says about them who were causing this problem, Galatians 5 and verse 12, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. And I think he's using a metaphoric phrase there of cutting themselves off from the body of Christ. Just, I could wish that these people were causing this problem and causing people to fall into sin, that they would just remove themselves from the body of Christ. Now, the gospel can be perverted in a lot of ways. A whole lot of ways. Here, in Galatians, uh, the particular perversion or distortion was, you, you need to go back to the old law. But lots of other perversions and distortions of the gospel are mentioned even in the New Testament. So you have, for instance, in Jude verse 4, there were certain men who crept in unnoticed, long ago marked out for this condemnation. They're ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I do not believe that they were saying there's no such thing as God or there's no such thing as Jesus Christ. I believe they were saying that Christ and God can't tell me what to do. They're not my Lord's. And so, these people that are being talked about by Jude, what was their problem? Were they going back to the law? No, they didn't want any law. In fact, they were turning the gospel into lewdness following their own pleasures and sensuality. I want you to see the difference between the people Jude's talking about and the people Paul's talking about. Both grossly perverting the doctrine of Christ, one by saying, well, we have to be more strict. We got Christ didn't apply, but we're going to apply it. It's the law of circumcision. And the ones Jude's talking about saying, oh no, we don't need to be more strict. We need to be more loose. We just need to enjoy life, and if you want to go out and drink and have uh, ungodly sexual relationships or whatever it is, yeah, that's going to be fine. Lewdness, turning the grace of God into lewdness. Either direction, it's perversion of the gospel of Christ. Either direction, somebody who believes that is what? 
overtaken in a trespass. That's what? They're overtaken in a trespass. So there are all kinds of trespasses that could be uh, included. Any trespass, in fact, is included. And saints overtaken in trespass are overtaken in sin. The word overtaken, as it occurs there in the New King James Version, uh, is a word that literally referred to an animal trap. You know, you've seen these, maybe you even rigged one up at one point in your life. Uh, my dad talked about how he had, had, uh, set rabbit traps when he was growing up on the farm in Missouri, and they'd, they'd catch the rabbits, and of course, uh, kids, hold your hands over yours right now, they'd knock them in the head and have them for supper, you know. So that, that, was, the, <laughs> that was the point of those rabbit traps. And I, I can imagine this poor little rabbit just hopping along, and he, he sees a piece of apple or a carrot in, inside this box, and he goes in there, and then he's trapped and he loses his life. And you kind of feel sorry for the rabbit, don't you? A little bit. Unless you're really hungry, you kind of feel sorry for the rabbit. That's how Paul is describing these people, these Christians in Galatians 6. They they didn't intend to be trapped by sin. They didn't intend to be overtaken by sin, but that's what has happened to them. And, And it's a pitiful situation, even for an animal, isn't it? It's a pitiful situation when an an animal gets trapped by something that's going to wind up causing him to lose his life. Most sins that we are overtaken in are unexpectedly sticky. You ever decided, well, you see, you know what flypaper is? You all know what flypaper is. The old timers do, I know. You know, it's uh, basically tape that's sticky on both sides, really sticky on both sides, and you hang it up and a fly lands on it and he gets stuck. As kids, of course, when we saw this, it was, it was a great way, instead of having to swat all the flies, you know, you got them stuck on the flypaper. But as kids, I remember, you just had to touch it, right? <laughs> you had this flypaper hanging up there and you just, you just had to put your finger on it and see how sticky it was. And the problem is, it was so sticky, once you touched it, you, you never got it off. I mean, it's like you were stuck forever because you try to pull it off and then it gets stuck on this side and you try to get it with your teeth and then your teeth are stuck and your whole body's stuck to it before it's all over with. You're just stuck all over the place. And that's how sin is. It's you think you're going to touch it and it not affects you. And you're just going to do it this once. But it's so sticky. And, and before you know it, it's all over you. And you can't get it off. And the more you shake it, the more it sticks. And that's what Paul's talking about when somebody's overtaken in a trespass. And as I said, ignorance of the trap and ignorance of how sticky it is makes the situation all the more pathetic and sad. The wise man in Proverbs talks about it in Proverbs 5 and verse 22. When he talks about the wicked man... His own iniquities entrap the wicked man. He's caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction. And the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. He didn't know. He didn't know. You know, this was going to hurt him like this. Control him like this. Ruin his life like this. But it did. 
And he's in a miserable condition as a result. It's no wonder the Hebrew writer says that we're to exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's why we need each other. To help each other get loose from the cords of sin. Here's why we need constantly to exhort one another and help one another overcome sin. Love, love of Christ and love for one another will attempt to rescue those who are trapped by sin. As I said to begin with, this is part of bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. That's what Paul says in the next verse, Galatians 6, 2, right? Bear one another's burdens. Fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? That you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus repeatedly says that. John repeats this over again in 1 John. This is what you've heard from the beginning. This is His commandment. That you love one another. Sadly, I'm not sure all of us have that depth of love. I think we have a tendency to be tempted ourselves to sin when it comes to keeping this command in Galatians 6 and verse 1. Because some of us don't really love and care enough about our brother to help him lift that burden of sin off of him. And others of us, again swinging to the other side, just love to see people that we're better than so we can look down our noses at them and condemn them. Right? I read an article this last week about uh, some calls that were made to the Chicago Transit Authority. These are the police that are in charge of the subway in Chicago, the trains. And um, the story came out, a man who was homeless and drunk fell down onto the rail track and died. The uh, transit authority got zero phone calls about that. A few weeks later, an old lady fell down on the railroad track and died. The transit authority got about five calls about her. A few weeks later, a dog fell down on the railroad track and died. Over 50 people called about the dog. What's it illustrate? We feel sorry animal that's in the trap than we do for the human being that's in the trap of sin. That's what. Paul says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. So who are the spiritual? You who are spiritual. Who is that? Well, it's those who are spiritually mature. The word translated spiritual here 
It's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. When he's chastising the Corinthians, he says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I understand sometimes the word spiritual in the New Testament can refer to those who had spiritual gifts or miraculous abilities. I don't believe that's the case at all in Galatians 6 and verse 1. I think it's parallel exactly to what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1. Paul couldn't talk to these Corinthians as spiritual people because they weren't mature. They were babes in Christ and they were acting like babes in Christ. They didn't have the spiritual maturity to care about somebody else. You know, one thing about babies, they need caring for, but it's really hard for them to care for anybody else, (laughs) right? Mature people may need to be cared for, but they can care for others. In the context of Galatians chapter 6, those who are spiritually mature are those who are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. That's another thing I've noticed about fruit trees. They don't typically bear fruit the first year or two or three. You need a mature tree to bear fruit. Christians also have trouble bearing fruit when they're young. They grow and grow and bear and bear more fruit as they mature. Paul in Galatians 6 had just got finished talking about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. In fact, just a few verses earlier, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22-23, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You're never going to sin by doing any of those things. You never can do too much of those things. But my point is, that spiritual maturity, in the context of Galatians 6, he's just said this. This is bearing the fruit of the Spirit. That's spiritual maturity. All of those aspects of a person's character. And the first one that is mentioned is love. Right? Spiritually mature people love, and they love deeply. Spiritually mature people are full of joy and peace and long-suffering, long-suffering in dealing with others. They are kind, they are good, they are faithful, and they are gentle. Four verses on then, the Apostle Paul says, you who are spiritual, you're spiritual because you're bearing the fruit of the Spirit. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. In a spirit of gentleness. We are to restore those caught in sin out of a motivation of love and in gentleness. Gentleness is a vital attribute of those who are mature, those who are spiritual, those who are saints. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, In similar language, the Apostle Paul says, as the elect of God, holy saints, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. This is the spirit that we need to have to help one another out out of sin. It's especially important to have this spirit when we're restoring a brother. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24. 
He says that a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps would grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. I believe that 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 is really just almost an expansion of Galatians 6 and verse 1. Here you have a servant of the Lord. He's not about... That's not what it's about. He's not in there to cause a fight. He's there to help people go to heaven. We're not going to help people go to heaven by trying to get an argument with them. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Maybe somebody needs teaching. And if they need teaching, that teaching may require a good bit of patience. I have rarely found when trying to teach an adult anything that they learn it the first time. I have often found that over time, adults who are open-hearted and want to do the Lord's will will learn the truth. Patience is required in teaching somebody if that's what the need is. If they're overtaken in the sin because they didn't know. Because they don't understand. Teaching is required, and we must be patient in the teaching. That takes time. It takes humility. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. This person may disagree with you about the reality of their sin, whether it's a false doctrine, whether it's something they're engaged in in their lives. They may not think that fill-in-the-blank is a sin. You have to teach. You have to correct them in humility. And you remember Paul said, in Galatians 6.1, looking to yourself lest you also be tempted. And maybe you even have been tempted. Maybe you've been guilty of the same sin. Recognize that. As you're trying to help this brother or sister out of their sin. Gentleness says, how can I help? Not how can I condemn. Gentleness says, we're in this together. Not, boy, you messed up this time. There's a fellow I read about, and many of you can relate to his experience. Uh, His kids had gone to the school carnival, and one of the things you could win by playing the games at the school carnival was goldfish. Now, for those who don't know, this happens almost every year at Athens Bible School as well, and our family has been there, and many of you have been there probably too, where your kids win goldfish, and you don't have an aquarium in your house or even a goldfish bowl, and so what do you do with the goldfish, right? So this guy has read about his kids won not one, not two, not three, but four goldfish, and so now you've got to get an aquarium. So They go to the pet store, and they can't afford a real aquarium, you know, because they're just expensive. And he's got four kids to feed. And so there's a used aquarium that's sitting there. It's got old gravel in it. It's kind of yucky and all that sort of thing. But they're selling that aquarium for five bucks. And he says, okay, I'll take that one for five bucks. And he takes it home, cleans it up, pours water in it, pours the goldfish in. Uh, By 
that next morning, one of the goldfish had died. Two days later, two more of the goldfish had died. One goldfish left in this little 10-gallon tank. So he finally reaches out to uh, a guy at church that does aquariums. You know, he has aquariums in his house, and the expert. And he says, I've got, I've got these goldfish. I've only got one left. I want to try to get it to live. What have I done wrong? And so the guy goes over with him what he's done. Understands that when he got the aquarium, it was so messed up, dirty, he washed it out with soap. Soap kills goldfish, okay? Anybody doesn't know that? The problem is, he washed it out with soap. Strong lye soap, apparently. We're not helping ourselves by using strong chemicals on our brothers and sisters to try to clean them up. They need to be restored in a spirit of gentleness. Don't use bleach. That's what Paul says. Restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Sometimes in our zeal to clean up our own lives and the lives of others, we unfortunately use killer soaps. Now, what we need is the Word of God. We need it plainly. We need to understand what's wrong and what we need to do to make it right. We need to get our heart right with God. All of that, please don't misunderstand me here. We're not soft-pedaling anything. But what we are is, what we are doing is, using those things that will be helpful to restore our brother or sister. The tools that we use to do that. See, the problem is, sometimes we're limited in the tools we want to use. If, if, if the only tool that you have in your tool belt is a hammer, then every problem looks like a nail, and, and you're going to pound it. Every problem doesn't need to be pounded. Some, some problems need to be sawed off. Some need to be glued together. You have all kinds of different problems. And we need all kinds of different tools. Let us be gentle in our confrontation and restoration of the fallen. Reconciliation is the outcome of restoration. Reconciliation means to make friends again with, to bring in fellowship with. God has mightily extended his grace to us in bringing restoration and reconciliation to those who have become his enemies. Uh, Let's just think a little bit for a minute here about God's restoration of us. You and I. One thing about the Good Shepherd, He restores my soul. And He restored my soul when I was lost in sin. And not just separated from Him, but had declared myself through my sins to be His enemy. Romans 5 and verse 10, Paul says, If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. 
much more being reconciled will be saved by his life. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21, you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. We were enemies of God by our wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. How does that, how does that relate to how I'm going to relate to a brother who's overtaken in a sin? I'm trying to restore them using God's methods of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, listen to what Paul says as an apostle. He saw as his work in this business of restoration and reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, Paul knew God reconciled him to himself, but then Paul, in turning around, he had a job to reconcile others to God. That's what we're doing when a, a brother is overtaken in any trespass and we try to restore them. What are we doing? Trying to reconcile them to God, right? That's what Paul's talking about here. What does he say? How does he go about it? God in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are also, in a way, ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. <clears throat> May I point out that the Apostle Paul is speaking to Christians. Christians, many of whom were overtaken in trespass. If you read through 1 Corinthians, you know that for sure. Many of these Christians in Corinth had been overtaken in trespass. Paul is pleading with them to be reconciled to God. The very thing he's telling us to do in Galatians 6 and verse 1 is what he's doing with the Corinthians. I notice that though Corinth was eaten up with any number of sins, and again, just read the epistle, Paul does not kick them to the curb. He does not give up on them. He does not say, you're not worth my time to try to save. He's pleading with them to be reconciled to God. We must be concerned also with the restoration and reconciliation of those in sin. In fact, we need to make it a priority. I'm going to talk about priorities, Lord willing, this afternoon, this evening, in this evening's lesson, but we need to make reconciling others to God a priority isn't that what Jesus taught in Matthew 5 and verse 23? If you bring your gift to the altar, you remember there your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother. Reconciliation between brethren when a sin has been committed. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. He's done something to you, in some way offended you, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. And there's a process to follow if he doesn't hear you, but the point is, you go to him first. And you notice in these passages, it doesn't matter if he sinned against you or you sinned against him. 
you go to that person. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. And we said this before from this pulpit many times. The clear teaching of Scripture. Doesn't matter if you sin or they sin. You go. Get it ironed out. Even one who is a divisive person, who is causing division and problems, deserves at least a couple of admonitions, a couple of shots at this, before they're rejected or withdrawn from. Notice how Paul tells Titus in Titus 3 and verse 10 to reject a divisive man, but that's after the first and second admonition. So even a a person who's so hard-hearted and they're just causing problems, they're trying to cause problems, and that's evident, even they get a couple of shots at hearing the truth before we kick him to the curb, so to speak. As we close this morning, I want to share a story with you. It's a story about Fanny Crosby who has written quite a number of the hymns in our songbook. Fanny Crosby lived over 100 years ago. She was blind. And uh, after she'd written quite a number of hymns, and those had received uh, a lot of use among all kinds of religious people, she was one day visiting a what we would call a homeless shelter in New York City, uh, where... Men who were drunk and derelict and homeless and down and out, they were taken in and sheltered. She was talking to some of the men there, and she asked them if anyone there had lost their mother. And one young man said, yes, I, I lost my mother when I was very young. She asked the man to stand up and come toward her, and when he came toward her, She reached out and touched him, and then she pulled him close to her, hugged him, and kissed him on the cheek, and told him that she loved him. She went home that very day, and thinking about the men in that shelter, wrote these words, Rescue the perishing care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Many years after that, the song Rescue the Perishing was being led in a church. And before The song leader led the song. He told the story I just told you. And a man in the back stood up and waved his hand and said, I I was that young man. I was that young man who lost his mother. And the kindness that Fanny Crosby showed to me that day, I have never forgotten and it changed my life. We have a brother or sister that's overtaken in a trespass. Let's rescue the perishing. What about you this morning? You overtaken in a trespass? 
you can get rid of that sin, turn away from it. Christ will be so glad to forgive you. You can get that burden off. Let's help you do that. We'd ask you to come while we stand and while we sing.